Well, good morning, everyone. It's great to see you. My name is Taylor. Um, I am the relational ministry leader here at Life Church. I hope you all had an amazing New Year, a Merry Christmas, safe travels. Everything was good this holiday, and we want to welcome you back for this new year. Um, first thing before we get into the message today is a couple items of business. Uh, as most of you know, this holiday season, we had our we asked our congregants and everybody that attended to fill out a Connect card. Uh, and when you filled out that Connect card, we would donate $5 to two organizations uh, for the holiday season because we believe in giving back to the community. So we gave uh, $5 to Destiny Rescue, which is a child sex trafficking mission, and we also gave to Hands of Hope, which is an adoptive and foster care organization. Uh, so in total, over the holiday season, we collected 238 Connect cards, which meant that we were able to raise $1,190 and as a church give that back to those organizations. But then we also had someone step up and match that donation within our church. So we were able to give each organization $1,190. So $2,380. I know that's a lot of numbers, but that's what we were able to give back to the community. Um, yeah. And... It's very, very important that that's what we do as a church. So I'm thankful for each one of you who filled out a card. We are thankful for everybody that filled out a card and for the generous donors. We also had um, donors give more above and beyond uh, in addition to those numbers. So again, thank you for that. Um, and now we'll roll into last week's message, right? Because we were at church last week. How many of you missed church last week? I'm just kidding, we didn't have it. So the last time we met was Christmas Eve Eve, got you. Uh, last time we met was Christmas Eve Eve, and Mike finished up our series of Travel Light. And in that series, he talks about what it means to get rid of some things. And if you remember the doors, how we had to step out of our past, and we had to walk into our futures. And if you want to catch more of that series or hear more of what those sermons were like, you can download the Life Church Huntington app. You can go to our social media, and you can follow us, and you can watch the messages that way. So this week, uh, Mike handed me the keys to the car, and he said, what do you want to talk about? Talk about anything. And one thing that I had really, uh, I felt like God had laid on my heart was to describe who is God. And that's not a very small subject. So I was kind of in conflict with myself when this topic came up. I'm like, how am I going to talk about who God is? Because if you do the research, if you read the Bible from front to end, there are pages upon pages of who I am in the Bible. And so now I'm like, I have to take this list and I have to give it to the congregation for it to be an effective message. God, what do you want me to do with that? And so after a lot of prayer, um, I decided that we weren't just going to focus on these specific, I am this. We're going to focus on some. But I felt like it was more important to know how knowing who God is can affect our relationship with him and how it can affect our relationship with others. So again, Knowing all this information about God is beautiful and great. We don't have time for that right now. But in addition to that, that's only who God has revealed himself to be. That's not the entirety of who God is. So I can only begin to scratch the surface of who God is with any of these messages. And Job 36, 26 tells us that God is infinitely beyond our understanding. So our minds are only able to know so much of who God is, and that's how he's revealed himself in his word. So, this becomes challenging for me. But then I think about what Job tells us. God is infinitely beyond our comprehension. How will we ever fully know God? So then why should we care about studying about who God is? Well, it's important because to me, that text goes to say that if God, if I can't begin to describe the fullness of God, 
then that same God gave me his son and gave me the eternity with him. That's all the more reason that I feel that I should want to know who he has revealed himself to me. And that way we can use this in relationship with others. So this infinite, majestic God is saying, I want you to know me. And how do we do that? So I think the other problem is that if you ask someone who God is, what do you think their answer is? Like if I asked you right now, who is God? What are you going to say? Because there's a lot of things that go with that. You could come up with a lot of good things about who God is, but we have to know the entirety of who God is. And that's a whole, that's a big question to ask someone, by the way. It's probably going to, like, it's probably going to implement some silence when you ask that. Like, who is God? Um, it's like, where do I begin talking about this, right? So this is the question I want us to be able to put into words at the end of these sermons the next, this week and next week is I want you to really think about who is God? So the problem is that when we talk about coming to know God, we think that life is full of sunshine and rainbows, right? Life's perfect because with God, all things are possible. And while that holds truth, have, has anybody really committed their life to God and the potholes in the road just actually get bigger? And you're like, wait a second, why is this like this? Because sometimes things get harder when we're living in what God has called us to do and living in the will of God. So some of us have been on that journey and we think that all these problems and all of these things are just gonna go away because you know what? I've given everything to God. And again, he will do all things that we can't comprehend, but we have to know who God is and we have to know who he says he is because oftentimes we will project who we think God is on him with or without knowledge of who he is. So some people have never picked up a Bible, but they're very quick to tell you who God is for them. Like God is, ha like I'm happy right now. So yeah, God could be good. Or I'm really struggling in life right now. So why does God care about me? That kind of thing. So we want to take that mindset and reframe that so people can understand who God is through everything. And because our minds can't comprehend who God is, right? So who are we to say what our circumstances are and project that on who God is? Because that's not who he says he is. That's what you're dealing with, right? So if we don't have that proper framework for who God is, listen to this, we will fall short of experiencing who he really is, okay? Because when the going is getting rough, you can't just give up. So a lot of times people give up at that point where you say, if I can't see him and I can't feel him, then how do I even know that he's there? A lot of times that's how people will question. And, and that's where faith comes in. And faith is hard. And we have to remember that sometimes that's what we have to cling on to, that hope and that he is always there. Like today's world, we say, I need this to believe. Lord, if, like, has anybody done this before? And I know that I have, so I'll just be honest. Like, has, have you just sat somewhere and said, God, if you, are, if you are real, just give me a sign right now. Like, turn off these lights. In Jesus' name. And then nothing happens, and you're like, hmm. And you question, you're like, man, like, okay, like, what am I supposed to do? As if God ever owed you that sign in the first place. But yet we're so quick to think that's how God should reveal himself to us. It's when you go to him and say, God, I need this. Then where is it? Right? So we want to look in those moments and understand that God still loves you, and he's still with you. He still knows your heart through all of this. I want to show you, ultimately, the God who lies beyond all of our understanding, all of our comprehension, and yet can still exist outside of that, but know, to come, but know us and come to love us intimately where we are 
as we are and who we are. So we're gonna look at a few different walks of life. And I do this because this is like a walking testimony in a way. Like we're gonna look ultimately in the world. There's people who have not given their life to Christ. There's people who have given their life to Christ but choose how little or how much they wanna live and walk with him. And then there's people who are fully committed to this walk with Christ, but knowing who God is throughout this phase and this walk of life is just as significant no matter how you look at it. You see, I want to show you that God, and I want to get to that starting point, because ultimately God can use us to change the world, right? And so if we surrender and understand who God is, he'll change our lives forever. So... There's people who are in conflict with God. There's people who are open to hearing conversations. Even these avid atheists are opening, open to hearing something about God. But oftentimes, the people who don't believe in God or haven't fully committed their lives to God yet have this darkened image of who he is. Sometimes people have been hurt by the church. Sometimes people have been hurt by past relationships and abuse. And this clouds their image of who God really says that he is. And they'll sit there and they'll say, yes, this is who God is, when they've never maybe even read the Bible or never given God the chance. Maybe that person is sitting there feeling like, I'm insignificant to that, that plan of God. Like, I'm unworthy of having that lifestyle. And those people will feel condemned, and they'll hold themselves away, and they'll separate themselves from God. But listen, until you surrender everything to know who God is, you're never gonna fully understand that concept. So you have to repent and you have to turn away from everything so that you can know who God is in the first place. Because like I said earlier, he's more than our circumstances. When you're hurt, he's there with you. When you doubt, he is still there. When you are happy, he is rejoicing with you. No matter how you believe about God, he's still the same God. And so I wanted to frame this concept of the I am. The I am, um, and we'll walk through this real quick. Moses, we'll go back. So Moses is born a, a Jew, right? He's born into a Hebrew family and the Israelites, right? So if you remember, the Israelites move into Egypt because Jacob and Joseph and all these stories, they get brought into Egypt. So new Pharaoh comes in. And he's angry because the Israelites are doing what God had promised Abraham, and they're multiplying, and they're growing, and they're becoming abundant, and they're prospering. So this Pharaoh decides that he wants to kill the firstborn children of Egypt, or the, uh, not of Egypt, the Israelites that live in Egypt. So Moses is born. His mother sets him in a basket, sends him down the river. Pharaoh's, bro- Pharaoh's daughter picks up Moses out of, the river, uh, out of the river, excuse me, and now Moses is raised as an Egyptian. So, we have a Jewish-born man raised in an Egypt, as an Egyptian. And now Moses knows that he doesn't look like an Egyptian. He doesn't blend in. He doesn't fit in. And he sees an Egyptian strike another Israelite. So Moses strikes the Egyptian, kills him, and now he flees Egypt. So Moses is running away. and He goes to a place called Midian. And in Midian, he meets his wife, whose name, whose name is Zipporah. And Zipporah's father is Jethro. Now, why is this all important? Because this is where we find Exodus 3, where Moses encounters the burning bush. He is tending his father-in-law Jethro's flock, and I think it's important to know why he's even there in the first place. Remember, born a Jew, living in Egypt, left, and now he has this encounter with God. And imagine this. If you walked outside right now and you saw a tree on fire and it wasn't burning and it started talking to you, how are you going to explain that to someone without sounding crazy? 
right? So Moses is like, oh, I've got to, I have to be able to communicate this to the Israelites because this is God revealing himself and they're going to question me. So Moses, thinking ahead, says, all right, so who am I to say that you are to these people, right? So this is the framework of how we talk about the burning bush. So Exodus 3, if you turn your Bibles, Exodus chapter 3, verses 11 through 15. It'll also be on your screens. This is a portion of Moses and the burning bush. It says, But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you, and this will be a sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. Moses said to God, Suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me. And they ask me, What is his name? What then? Then what shall I say? Then what shall I tell them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are saying to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, the name you shall call me from generation to generation. So it's important to look at names in the Bible because generally names had significant meaning and if it didn't have a significant meaning, God would alter it and give it a significant meaning so you can look back through the Bible and see this. Now in today's world, we kind of look over this because names just really sound cool. Like my name is Taylor. That means someone who alters clothes. Wasn't my parents' intentions to name me that, but it sounds cool. I was named after someone. But like when we're reading the Bible, we need to understand that there is significance in the text here, right? So God says, I am the I am. So let's talk about what that means. The I am means that he was eternally past, that he is right now, and that he is in the future. He is eternally existent beyond space. He's beyond time, beyond matter. God is existing always. But if you open up that scripture in Hebrew, the original language that this was written in, the I am is a verb. Are there any teachers in here? All right, I think I'm good. So a verb is an action or a state of being, right? So it's not a, God's not saying I am, this is me, God, the creator, which is a a, a pronoun. Like he's not saying I am this. He's saying I am, and that's a verb. So think about what that means in your life. He's active. He's always doing something in your life. He's not just giving himself one title. He's saying that everything that there ever has been, there ever was, and there ever will be, that's me. That's who I am. You see, this is what I think helps us frame this, is that God's existence doesn't depend on what you think. Like, no matter what you do, no matter what you say, no matter what you think or feel about God, he still exists. No matter how you want to portray who God is upon himself, he still exists because he is the I am for eternity past and forevermore. He's this uncreated being. And why is this so important to us? Well, the first point is because you never have to worry about him going away. You see, Psalm chapter 90 verse 2 says, he is everlasting to everlasting. Number two, you never have to worry about him changing because he's consistent forever. Malachi chapter 3 verse 6 says, I the Lord do not change. And he will never leave, number three, you never have to worry about him being unfaithful or changing who he is. Second Timothy chapter 2 verse 13 says, if we are faithless, he remains faithful, he cannot deny himself. 
You see, God is the same. He has always been the same. And I want to tie in this concept of how God has always been the same. You see, God existed before, before Genesis 1-1, God was there. And then when Moses sees the burning bush, God is there. Then when Jesus is alive, God is there. And then today in this world, God is there. So that's a long time. Like I live maybe 100 years, and I tell myself I give myself a lot less than that. But if I live to be 100 years old, that is a lot longer than 100 years. And if you follow the Bible's genealogy, we're talking like 6,000 plus years. Is that a human? God is infinitely beyond all this. But Jesus reveals himself in John chapter 8. He goes to the festival of tabernacles in Judea, and um, he goes to tell the Jews who he is. He says in verse 56, your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. He saw it and was glad. You are not yet 50 years old, they said to him, and you have seen Abraham? Very truly, I tell you, Jesus answered, before Abraham was born, I am. You see, Jesus, fully God, fully man, existed in the flesh. He's also saying that I was there too because we believe in this triune God, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. They were all a part of this creation narrative. They were all a part of everything that happened and they are still here today. And that's who our eternity is with. It's the I am. And Jesus is telling us, it's not just God the Father that was there. He's like, I am. I was there. I saw Abraham. I was before Abraham. I am now and I am your eternity. So think about that. This God that we serve is forever. But the world that we live in, everything that we believe in, is temporary. So what are you gonna put your trust in? Right? Because there's some people living who say, like, I only need a dog as a companion. Genuinely, there are people that believe that. Like, I don't need a man, I don't need a woman, I don't need anybody to tell me, I got my golden retriever and life is good. Or some people are married and they idolize time with their spouse more than they do God. They're so quick to say, I need to date my spouse and love my spouse and while that's good, are you putting God first? Because anything that goes on the throne before God or anything on the throne with God is an idol. And guess what? It's temporary. We're all going to die one day. But the only thing that's eternal is our Lord and Savior, our God that we serve because he's the I am and active in our lives. God redeems. He loves. He is these actions, right? So I'm not a financial aficionado. It's well known. But if I'm going to invest in something, I'm going to invest in something that's going to give me the most return. So me putting everything into the flesh makes no sense when God at the center of my life is the only thing that can give me my eternity. That's why I believe in the I am. So we talk about God being here and there and everywhere. So that must mean that he's also omniscient and omnipresent, meaning that he knows all things and he is everywhere at all times. There is nowhere that he's not. And there is not a thing that he does not know. All right. So that can be a big concept. We're to, we'll talk about it. But that what's, what's nice to know is that because God knows everything, he knows what you went through yesterday, he knows what you're going through today, and he knows what you're going to go through tomorrow. So when you're sitting in this world and you're questioning certain things, you have to know that God knows because that's who he is. And it makes it easier to trust him because of that. First Samuel uh, chapter 16, verse 7 says, God sees, not as man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Because we have to understand that there's so many of us today that project ourselves to be someone, and we're not. 
But guess what God sees? He sees your heart. Like you go outside and you say, I am a Christian and I love the Lord. And then in your heart, you're like cursing at people, cutting you off in the drive and commenting on Facebook and doing all these things that are just like raging, meanful things. But that's, God sees that too. Because God knows all things. He knows your heart. He knows your thoughts better than you know. So there's, no, there's nothing that God doesn't know. So when you project yourself as this person, no matter where you go, if you, if you conform to one group and go to another, God knows still who you really are. You see, you can't say, oh, well, I'm going to go outside and I'll be good to people, but I'll come back inside and I'm just going to be mean to my kids and I'm going to be mean on social media to other people because God sees you there too. Your house doesn't protect you from God, all right? I think that needs to be said in today's world. I drive on the, at the speed limit on cruise control and people get mad at me for that. And I don't know, if the, I don't know why, but I think that's the right thing. And people genuinely like hate me for that. But God sees that heart too. God sees my heart when I look at them hating me and I'm mad that they hate me. He sees that. He sees everything. He knows everything. You see, you can't go into your internet browser and think that God ain't there. You can't go to that private message and think that God's not there. He don't know about that. You can't have that addiction and think that you can hide it from other people because guess who knows it? God. He knows all things. And he is also everywhere. David writes in Psalm uh, 139, chapter 7 through 10, Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. You see, that same God who knows everything is the same God who's working on your spouse's heart. He's the same God who's working on your child's heart. He's the same God moving miracles in your life, the same God that's with all of you today, the same God who created the person that will deny him. He's the same because he is everywhere at all times and he knows all things. So if we understand who God is in this aspect, this is how we can determine the nature of our sin. Because if God is this holy, eternally existing, all-knowing, everywhere at all times being, then anything that we do that's different from what he tells us to do is what? Sin. And when we fall short of that sin, that's how we can measure our life. That's how we can say, okay, well, I know this is wrong, and I know this is right, but yet we still have that choice, right? But that's how we measure what we're doing in life. That's how we measure the standard of sin. Now, how many of us, though, used to do something, but no longer do that thing because of and only because of God? Like me, for sure. And you know what God does with that? He changes people's lives. God will change your life once you understand that your sin is what is separating you from him. Now, he sent his son to atone for everything that you have ever done and ever will do. But you have to understand that if you continue a life of sin, it will continue to, like, if you're gonna write in this book of sin and this book of I've been walking with Jesus and doing what I'm supposed to do, when you go to heaven, God's not gonna say, okay, you did good things, good. He's gonna say, well done, good and faithful servant, right? But he's not gonna look in the book of good deeds and say, hey, good job at taking your dog for a walk when your wife needed you to. He's gonna say, let's talk about this book of things that, that kept you from me. Let's talk about all these things and you're gonna be held accountable 
for all of these things, right? So why would you want to write in that book? You see, when we project that outward way as believers, we have to understand that God still knows who we are. And the importance of that is when you bear the name Christian, I've talked about this in message past, that when you bear the name of Christian, that other people, they see you. So think about that person who's struggling with their belief in God, and they see you professing your faith in Christianity, but you're not living that life because you choose how much you do and don't want to love God when it's convenient for you. And guess what their image of God is now? Their image is, oh, that's acceptable? Oh, I didn't know you can do that. Or maybe it's, oh, those people hurt me? Oh, those people do that? Oh, and they're Christians? And sometimes people will take that and that alone and say that that is who God is. Because if you're living that way with him, then that must be who he's called us to be. And so it's significant. But what happens when we sin? When we sin, we should feel this level of conviction. We should feel this desire to change because of who God says that he is. And when we repent, that's all good and well, but oftentimes when we don't feel convicted, one thing that we do is we isolate ourselves because the sin has separated us from God. So we feel it's better to just run away from our problems and let me just, if we leave it alone and don't touch it, nothing's gonna happen to it. But guess who's still there in the whole process? So there's a story that I wanna share. It's about a pastor in a fireplace and another person. I don't know how to title it, but this is the story. A pastor uh, of a church notices that one of his long-term members who'd been coming faithfully and giving faithfully stops attending. And a few weeks go by, and the pastor decides that he needs to reach out to this man. So instead of calling him, he decides he would rather go visit his home. So the pastor goes to the guy's home. The gentleman welcomes him in, and there's a fire uh, going to the fireplace inside. And the two sit down at the fire. No words have been exchanged to this point. They're staring at the fire, and they continue to just not say anything. And eventually, the pastor grabs the fire tongs. And he goes and he takes an ember from the fire and he sets it off to the side. And then he continues to look at it. Both of them still haven't spoke to one another. And now that ember that was burning is isolated and it's going cold and it's going dark and it's not serving its purpose anymore. And they both kind of stare at it and the pastor after time decides to grab the fire tongs and put the charcoal back into the embers. And the pastor gets up to go leave and that charcoal starts to reignite and reserve its purpose because it's back with its origins, it's where it's supposed to be. Again, they haven't said anything, but at this point, the pastor looks over, the gentleman nods his head, goes to leave, and the gentleman says, I'll be back next week. You see the significance in that is that when you want to pull your way from something because you've been separated by something in life, God is telling you that you belong with other people. You were designed to be in relationship You were designed to be in relationship with one another and with God who has reconciled himself to us. That was his design from the beginning so that we can give him worship and praise. So when you remove yourself saying, I'm sinning in secret, or when you remove yourself saying, ooh, I know what I did was wrong, but I'm not gonna touch that, I'm gonna leave that alone. And when you isolate yourself from people so they don't see it, God still sees it. And he wants to pick you up and he wants to put you back into those embers so that you can reignite and that you can serve that purpose. You see, sometimes people will justify this sin, though, and they'll say, well, it's not hurting anybody else. Listen, nowhere in the Bible does it say that sin is acceptable as long as it doesn't hurt somebody, okay? Sin is sin. So when we, when we sin, we always hurt someone, 
And if you don't think it does, it for sure hurts God. So you have to understand that sin is heavy. The punishment for sin is death. And I want my eternity to be with God eternal, the God we've talked about, the I am, the all-knowing God. See, I'm a sinner. I admit it. I repent of it. I do everything I know to take my convictions and turn away from them to be the best that I can be. But I'm far from the image of perfection because the only thing that we know that is perfect is God. You can't do life alone. You can't hide from God and you can't flee from his presence because he is the all-knowing, everywhere at all times, eternally existent God. So now we have the maturing Christian. So this is on the other hand and I want to point out the maturing Christian, someone who has given their life to Jesus, fully committed to walking that life and living out their calling, personally knows the Lord as their Savior and their friend, but none of these walks of life are any more significant than the other, as in the individual living in them, because God loves each one of them equally, whether you know it or not. It's a matter of how long you've been on that walk with God that shows you where you're at. Because for me, I have been the first person who was angry at God and didn't know him. I've been the first, the second person who said yes to Jesus, but nothing changed in my life. But it was also because I wasn't even giving him my heart to begin with. And I've also been the person who says, I'm gonna do anything that you ask me, God, and I'm gonna stand firm in knowing that you're gonna take care of me. But now all I desire is for people to know the God that I know. And that's why it's important for us to know who God is. Because we need to be able to share that with the person who's struggling with knowing who he is. We need to be able to share that with the person who is struggling with knowing how much they need to give to him and what's really required. And we need to know who God is because what happens in this life of Christianity that's perfect and rainbows and sunshine or whatever, but what happens when life shakes you up? What happens when your life is crashed? Who are you gonna run to? When, when you get a phone call that you have cancer, when you hear about a loved one who just committed suicide, when you hear about someone who's facing an addiction in your family close to you, when you hear about all of these evil things that we think in this world are separating us from this idea of a perfect life, when, you, when the doctor tells you you can't bear a child, where are you gonna run? If you're, you fully are committed to this walk with Jesus, right? And we know there's gonna be troubles, right? But when it really comes knocking on your front door and you have no choice but to let it in, who are you gonna invite in then? Like that's what we need to think about because that matters of knowing about who God is in all of our circumstances because of this person and because of this person because God wants to use you so that he can show you who Jesus is to these people too. So we have to understand that Jesus told his disciples and he told us what we can expect because of who God is. You have to understand that he said, you're gonna go do these things and people are gonna hate you and the world's gonna spit at you basically. But he said, but you need to believe in me and remain in me. And you think the disciples, they had to remember through good and bad who God is. They had to remember that when adversity would come, they had to remember, I just walked with Jesus. He just did all these things. I have to know that. Nearly all of the disciples were killed, were persecuted for what they believed in. And they still stood firm, right? So that's our calling too. 
You see, life is not fair. There's times where we become hurt, but if it's our calling as Christians to love God and love people, that means we need to be honest about everything too, right? So God isn't just good when you get a job. God isn't just good because, oh, we have money and everything's going good right now. You see, you need to tell people about that, but you also need to tell people that when you were crying in pain, physically couldn't get up out of bed because you were so depressed about not knowing how you could put food on your family's table or provide for anybody and feel like you have any relevance in this world, that God picked you up and he put breath in your lungs and he said, keep going. You need to tell people that God too. The God that takes your miracles, these miracles we can't explain. He performs miracles. You need to tell people who that God is too. You need to tell people the real circumstances of life and how God has picked you up from the muck and mire and he's brought you into this new life and you need to be real about it. Some of the hardest times in your life when you're delivered are some of the most amazing testimonies that you'll ever have. See, God, sometimes your pain and your suffering, God is going to use so that others can know him. You see, Jesus had this amazing encounter with Lazarus. And if you didn't know, Jesus, when he goes to the tomb of Lazarus, he didn't tell the people, all right, I'm here. You can go away now. I've got this. I'm God. He stayed with them, and he wept with them. He had empathy. He cared about the people. So when Jesus goes to the tomb of Lazarus, we see something here that Jesus is telling us uh, of how we can live our lives in the midst of suffering. So, Jesus goes to this tomb, to the place where there was great opposition to go save someone that he loved. And in John chapter 11, we're going to read through some of this. It may or may not be all on the screen. But Jesus goes up to Martha, who is John's sister, or sorry, Lazarus' sister, excuse me, and he says, your brother will rise again. In verse 24, he says, Martha answered, in verse 24, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. And then in verse 25, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. We need to remember that sometimes when we are witnessing to other people, don't forget that God brought you from death to life, that he brought you out of sin so that you could have a new life, and he wants to share that with the world. He says in verse 26, and whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who has come into the world. So then when Mary, in verse 32, when Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him, he asked. Come see, Lord, they replied. And Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him? But some said, could not he who opens the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odor, for he has been there four days. And then this is what I want you to hear. Then Jesus said in verse 40, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? 
So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here that they may believe that you sent me. Jesus used this moment of Lazarus to show other people who he is and who God is. He could have healed him from afar. He could have walked up, touched him, said, everybody, don't worry, here he is. But he wanted to show people what God is capable of doing. And that's why it's our job as maturing Christians to show people what God is capable of doing, to show people who God is. He is, he is the resurrection and the life that he brings us from that death to life. He wants you to show others that. That's why I said your pain, your trials might be a way for God to show others. But we have to endure that. And we have to trust that God is who he says he is. So I'm gonna invite the worship team back up and I'm gonna conclude with this. Here's the real question that I want you to ask yourselves. Do you want a God that you can fully explain? Or do you want a God that you can admire for all the things that you can't? Because to me, a God that I can explain and fully explain isn't a God at all. There's people who can pull this TV apart and tell me every single part of it. But I have a God who I can't begin to describe everything that he is. And that's what we're dealing with today, is we need to understand the God that we serve is beyond anything that we can ever comprehend. Because God is the God who reconciled himself to me. He's the God that can't be measured. He's the God that performs miracle beyond all of our understanding. That's the same God that we're serving today. And I want to know him for everything that he has shown me. I want that God. You see, God reigns supreme over all things. He cannot, he has not, and he never will be defeated. So I can trust and run in him and know that I can live that same life that he's offered me because he is a victorious God. You see, there's a lot of people that will question who God is and they've never opened that Bible and they will come up with these crazy things like, oh, God can't create a stone that can't lift itself. And it's like, I don't even have time to know that because I know that God is so infinite and so immeasurable and I'm not gonna sit here and waste my time on thinking about things God could or could not be. I want to know what God has told me and revealed to me that he is because I praise God because what I know about him is far more important than what I don't. And see, we have to know that God will always be for us, that he's never against us, and that he gave us his son, and that he offers us this eternity because he is the all-knowing, ever-present, always-existing God who redeems us and reconciled himself to us so that we can know him and be in relationship with him forever. That's who God is. You see, if we agree to follow him, though, only when we understand what he's doing, we will always stop short of experiencing his fullness. You hear that? If you agree to follow him only when you understand what he's doing, you will always stop short of experiencing his fullness. So will you stand, please, so I can pray for you? Dear Father, give me the faith to offer you the praise even when I can't see you or feel you. Lord, I know that you are for me and you are not against me. 
and give me that strength to boldly proclaim who you are. Lord, let my life be a testimony for another so that we can see the kingdom grow. God, I pray that we spend our lives trying to be with one another and bringing each other and our love to you and placing it in your hands and telling you that we're surrendering everything that we have to know you more so that we can spend that eternity with you, God. So Lord, I pray this message captivates hearts of people and minds of people to maybe understand a little bit more that God cares for us and there's nothing that we can do to stop his existence. So Heavenly Father, we love you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
wonder, awestruck wonder, at the mention of your name. Jesus, your name is power, breath and living water, such a marvelous mystery. And holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was in this and is to come. With all creation I sing, the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. With all creation I sing praise to the King of kings. You are my everything, and I will adore you. everything that we know. He continues to exist and he will always will exist. I want you to think about this concept this week and ask yourself this question. Who is God? I want you to look into who he says he is and who he's revealed himself to be. Not just so you can say who he is, but who he says he is. So I want to thank you for being with us in this new year. Uh, I pray that you have traveling mercies as you go to your next destination. We love you, and we will see you guys next week.